I appreciate so much our shepherd, Grant Knight, um, reminding us of the acknowledgement that at times we feel overwhelmed in this life, and also reminding us that it is Jesus that provides that stability and security, even in times that seem overwhelming. And these certainly are those. I know our hearts go out to the people of Ukraine who are in um, great suffering and threat today because of the Russian invasion. And I know our church family has a lot of, of connections uh, with Ukraine. Many of us have been on uh, mission campaigns there before. There are people who have uh, family members in their ancestry uh, who were Ukrainian as well. And, um, and so I'd like for us for just a moment uh, to uh, offer prayer up to God, and then we'll get into this morning's sermon. Father, we praise you as the creator God, the sustainer of the universe, the savior and the judge of all mankind. Father, we acknowledge today that there is evil in the world. And we acknowledge today that there is also good in the world. But Father, so many times um, we see that good and evil in conflict in a very real and concrete way, and that's what we see in Ukraine today. And so Father, we ask your blessing upon those who are afraid. We ask your blessing upon those who are um, mourning and Father, we, we pray that you will bring about uh, an end uh, to this uh, war. We ask, Father, that you would bless the leaders of Ukraine and of Russia that, and other leaders of the world, President Biden, Vice President Harris, any of those, Father, who are the world leaders who will have a hand in helping bring about a more peaceful resolution. And we pray for your will to be done. Father, we ask that um, you would be with the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia. We ask that you would be with the people of the surrounding nations as well. And so, Father, as we think of those, uh, those people that are there, we ask that you would be with them, whether they're there still, whether they have fled in the last days, or whether they have previously moved away from their homeland. We ask your blessing. Father, I pray for those that are um, in Mariupol, a church that I worked with and helped establish. I pray that you would be with the churches there and throughout those eastern regions and throughout the rest of Ukraine, that they would be good witnesses and that they would feel your hand upon them and that they would be able to survive and continue to minister with your love and your word to the people of, of their homeland. And so, Father, we pray for, um, we pray for Alona, we pray for Victor, we pray for Dima, we pray for Kostya. We pray for Elena. We pray for Sasha and Yula 
Sasha, one of the ministers in Ukraine. We pray, Father, for all of those throughout the country, throughout the surrounding region. We pray, Father, for the children who have received Bibles through the youth Bible camps and the translators and the counselors and the staff there. We pray for the children in the schools who receive Bibles from Eastern European Mission. And we, we ask, Father, that you would remember your promise that your word would not return empty, but that it would accomplish everything that you want it to accomplish. And, Father, in a similar way, we pray for the children and the people of Russia. They, too, have received Bibles in their schools. They, too, have heard the message of God. And so, Father, we pray in this battle of good versus evil. We pray in this battle of uh, aggression versus freedom. We ask, Father, again, for your will to be done and that you would bless those uh, who are under attack and that you would bless uh, the attackers, that you would lead them to the good, that you would lead them to what is right. And that you would bring about your will. That you would bring about your word and your love. And we pray, Father, that you would bring about peace. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our look at imposter Jesuses and compare them with the real Jesus... Today we ask this question, what can we get from Jesus that we can't get anywhere else? What is it that Jesus can do for us that that no one else can? What is it that we can get from Jesus that we can't get anywhere else? In his book, The Original Jesus, Daniel Darling contrasts the real Jesus with other inspirational uh, religious and popular figures he calls Guru Jesus, I like that name, as well as popular psychology authors and speakers he calls, fittingly enough, Dr. Phil Jesus. He writes this, This Dr. Phil Jesus is attractive in a self-help society. This Jesus is a self-help star who doesn't renew us from the inside, but offers a set of vague moral principles by which we can work our way to success. This Jesus is not the one who breathed life into dead creatures, but the one who offers a serene pathway to your best life now. Those are helpful and have their place, but they're imposter Jesuses. If we're looking to them for redemption, if we're looking to them for salvation, if we're looking to them as our ultimate guide, we will find that they're imposters. And let's be clear. There's a place for the inspiration and encouragement that can come from devotional, historical, even doctrinal religious writers and speakers. How's that working for you? (laughs) Dr. Phil would ask. 
Well, I believe that that's a good question for us to be asked at times. I think that's important for someone to ask us sometimes when we're caught up in something that isn't working and that's not right. I think it's an important question for us to ask each other. How's that working out for you? Because if it's not, then we need to take a closer look. There's a place for psychologists and self-help writers and therapists. One of my favorite books is Amy Morin's book, 13 Things uh, That Mentally Strong People Don't Do. I'm taught using that book here in Bible class. I've used it in illustrating worship services, worship sermons. And I think that's important and very helpful and significant. It can be a real help. I read those books, and I personally have gone to those counselors. I think they have their place. can be very helpful, very important. But what they can't do is save us. They can't save us from our sin. They can't provide forgiveness. They can't provide salvation. They can't redeem us. Again, quoting from the book, the original Jesus, there is no immediate fix to what ails us. There is no instant gratification, no shortcut to the slow and sure process of sanctification. Repentance and faith are more than mere self-improvement. They are the lifelong, joyous struggle to bring God glory. And I think there's something in there that sounds contradictory to me. (laughs) The lifelong, joyous struggle. (laughs) I'm thinking those three words shouldn't be in the same sentence. (laughs) It's lifelong, so we actually never fully accomplish that. Well, that's the idea of sanctification. Becoming more holy, more pure, more righteous, more like God... That's a lifelong struggle. (laughs) That doesn't sound very encouraging at all, and yet it's a lifelong, joyous struggle. How can that be? How can that be? Only through Jesus Christ can that lifelong struggle be joyful. You can't compare the imposter Jesuses with the Redeemer Jesus. And as Grant shared, when we're feeling that sense of overwhelmed uh, uh, personality because of all of the things that are going on, when all of the issues seem to divide us and polarize us as a nation, as a world, as families, yes, even as the church. What is the answer? The answer cannot be found in imposter Jesus's. This is too big. But the answer can be found with the Redeemer, Jesus. The one who can set us free. We see this played out in the Gospels in many places, including three interactions that we'll look at today, interactions with the Jesus who seeks our redemption and salvation above all else. 
There's a lot of other things that are important and significant and that are worthy of us to consider and work on. That's certainly true. But only the Redeemer Jesus is the one who ultimately seeks our salvation and our redemption, our ultimate freedom and life and, yes, joy. And so the first one is Nicodemus. Chris mentioned him and his wonderful thoughts as we gathered around the table and talked about that contrast between symbolism and truth. And Nicodemus, I think Chris got a a lot of both in that conversation. He got that symbolism in John 3 where Jesus talked about, look, you've got to be born again. And for Nicodemus, it was a complete surprise. Who was Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus was one of the Jewish ruling council members. He was one of the smartest guys in the nation of Israel, the people of God. He was on that council. He would would help to decide the hardest issues in the nation that people would bring. And so as he comes to Jesus, as you know, at night in John 3, probably wanting perhaps not everyone to know that he was doing it, but I think more likely he wanted some special one-on-one time with Jesus because he felt like he deserved it. (laughs) These other kind of peons that come during the day, all the thousands that come and they're baptized by John the Baptist and they, they hear all of these things. Uh, You know, that's one group, but I'm in a different group. I can come to Jesus by myself at night. Two very smart, very knowledgeable theologians to talk shop, (laughs) to talk God, to talk theology, to talk God's word. And so he starts out with, we all know that you've come from God because nobody can do these fantastic, amazing miracles that you do unless God sent him. It kind of divides after that. (laughs) But Jesus interrupts him right there and hits him with that truth. I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, unless you're born again of water and the Spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that completely takes Nicodemus by surprise. He can't believe it. If anybody's going to heaven, it's him. If anybody's going to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, it's him. If anybody doesn't need to be baptized for repentance as John and Jesus and their disciples were preaching, it would be Nicodemus. And Jesus stops him cold and he confronts him. And he says, Nicodemus, unless you are born again of water and the spirit, you will be left out. Well, that's something that affects Nicodemus throughout his next few years, I think. Because in chapter 7, we we find another little window into Nicodemus' life where he's at one of those Jewish ruling council, one of the meetings of the Sanhedrin in John 7. And and Jesus uh, is being talked about and they're condemning him. And Nicodemus very sheepishly, I think, raises the issue of, wait... Shouldn't we at least hear him out? And they just blast him. And that's the last we hear of Nicodemus saying anything for a while. Until chapter 19 when Jesus is killed on the cross. And it's two members of that Jewish ruling council 
that take him down from the cross, become ceremonially unclean, and become public enemies number one and two. And it's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. You see, what Jesus did in John 3 is he confronted Nicodemus, and what he was asking him was the same question he's asking us today, and that's this. What's distracting you from putting God first? What's distracting you? There's a lot of other things out there, and some of them are good things. Some of them are even important things. But they can't bring salvation. They can't bring redemption. And that was his question for Nicodemus. Nicodemus, what's distracting you from becoming my follower, and will you do something about that? Ultimately, Nicodemus does. But for a while, he was distracted. Well, secondly today, let's look at Jesus and the rich young ruler. Again, another very familiar story. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Mark 10, we, we read that story. And, and this rich young ruler, this uh, man who is very faithful, uh, comes to Jesus and, and he says, what do I have to do to go to heaven, <laughs> basically? And Jesus tells him, well, look, you know, you know the law. You know your Bible. You need to obey the commandments. And he lists several there, Jesus does. And then the man says, I've kept all of these from my youth. What am I still lacking? And I wonder why he's asking that question. What am I still lacking? Was it because deep inside of him he knew something wasn't right? Maybe. Maybe. Was it as as recorded in the Gospels? He just wanted to justify himself? Certainly. But Jesus wouldn't have it. And so unlike we are sometimes who will do anything in the world we can to try to make someone feel comfortable here, (laughs) Jesus tells him the one thing, the only thing that could drive him away. (laughs) Bill would stay far away from that issue, but Jesus does not. He tells him the one thing that would cause him to leave and not come back. Okay. Okay. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And he went away sad. And I don't think it's just because he had a lot to give. It's because he didn't want to give it. Whether you have a lot or a little, that can be an issue. That can be a problem. You see, the rich young ruler, like we are, was tempted. And maybe you're not tempted in the same way that he was. But you're tempted somehow or another. And it's the same question with Nicodemus. What's distracting you from following me, Jesus asks. What are you tempted with? What what is it that Satan realizes if he gets you there, he's got you. And he can get you there. What is that thing? Maybe it's materialism, which is the same thing it was for the rich young ruler. Maybe it's power and glory and honor, which I think is part of what Nicodemus had. Maybe it's personal sin, which will be the next guy. What are you tempted with? And one of the reasons I love to go to Mark instead of Matthew and Luke is because of the way Mark 10 verse 21 starts. Before Jesus tells him, 
You need to sell everything you have and give to the poor and come and follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. Before Jesus says that, Mark says in Mark 10 verse 21, Jesus looked at the man and what? Loved him. He looked at the man and he loved him. And then he laid him out. (laughs) Then he sliced open his heart. Not just so that Jesus could see. Jesus already knew what was there, but so that he could see. And he could decide. Will I give in to this temptation? Or will I let Jesus redeem me and free me from the slavery that I'm in? Well, the third one we're talking about today is who we sang about with the kids up here. Jesus and Zacchaeus. And I got to tell you, one of my fears in doing this sermon is that I was going to get the names Nicodemus and Zacchaeus mixed up during the sermon, during the kids' time. And I have a history of that. Perhaps some of you have heard me say that there was one time where I preached this wonderful, incredible sermon on Noah and the ark. And it was great. And I preached the whole sermon. But instead of saying Noah, I said Moses. And the ark all the way through. And of course, none of my friends would try to help me out and say, Bill, Bill, Bill. No, no, no. No, no, no. They just let me sit up there and die. (laughs) Because that's what friends do for each other. And so I got to say, Nicodemus and Zacchaeus sound kind of alike. But we've talked about Nicodemus and we've talked about the rich young ruler. So let's talk about Jesus and Zacchaeus. And let's read Luke 19, beginning at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And so we already know that he was very likely dishonest, an outcast, disrespected by the Jews and by the Romans. The only person that this guy could have any kind of relationship with was other people who were also outcasts. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, verse 5, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I think the word there could have been surprisingly, (laughs) astonished, amazed. And I have a feeling that with Nicodemus, when Jesus stopped there initially, his heart sank. And he thought, great, as it turns out, Jesus is going to be just like all the rest of them. Stopping here to lambast me. Stopping here to make fun of me. But instead, Jesus tells him, I must stay at your house today. 
All the people saw this, verse 7, and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. True or false? 100% true. (laughs) Which would have been the case no matter which house he went to, right? (laughs) But not everybody realized that. Verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Giving away half of your possessions is more than what the law allows. And yeah, it talks about restitution, but Nicodemus was ready to give it all, I think. I mean, Zacchaeus, did you catch it? I did that just to test you. Zacchaeus says, here, I'll give it all away. Unlike the rich young ruler. Who everybody else would have said, he's the faithful guy. He's the good guy. He's the guy we want. Zacchaeus is the sinner. He's the outcast. He's dishonest. That's what they would say, and they were likely true. And so Jesus said to him in verses 9 and 10, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, this man was also a Jew. He was a descendant of Abraham just as much as anybody else was there. But he was also lost. And only Jesus could find him. Because only Jesus could save him. And that's what he came to do, to seek and to save the lost. You see, Zacchaeus had no joy. He had no joy. There's probably a lot of reasons why he was up in that tree and not just because he was short. Because he knew that was his only chance at seeing Jesus. Because if he knew that if he tried to fight his way through that crowd, he would have likely been beaten up. And at least pushed aside. And so he just wanted to see him. And instead he got to know him. And he welcomed Jesus gladly. Now Zacchaeus has joy. Only from Jesus can we get redemption. Only from Jesus can we get redemption. One of the passages that Chris referred to in John chapter 6. When Jesus calls on us, I think that's John's communion story, Last Supper story almost. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood or you'll be no part of me. John writing to the church, remembering those words of Jesus That's a hard thing to hear. And so a lot of them went away. And finally, all of them but the 12 apostles. And so at the end of John 6, Jesus says, well, what about you guys? You want to go away too? And Peter, in one of those remarkable displays, says, where would we go? Guru Jesus? Dr. Phil Jesus? Some other imposter Jesus? Where would we go? And get what we can get from you. Because you have the words of eternal life. You are the Son of God. You are the Savior. You 
can redeem us. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the holy Lamb of God. O wash me in his precious blood. My Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. What did those three As we close today, what did those three, Nicodemus, the rich young ruler, and Zacchaeus, what do they have in common with each other and with us? What they had in common is they were all sinners, just as we are. And they were all lost, just as we have been. And some of us are still today. Because we're looking for something somewhere that we can only find in Jesus. And so three things this morning to leave you with. Number one, respond in faith. Respond in faith like Jesus told Nicodemus to do. And like he ultimately did once he got past all the distractions. Today, what are your distractions? Today, what is keeping you from responding in faith? Respond in faith. Number two, recognize your weakness. Recognize your weakness, just like Jesus wanted the rich young ruler to do. Which, as best we can tell, he never did. Unlike Nicodemus and Zacchaeus. What are your temptations today? What is that one thing that Jesus would tell you today? You've got to change if you're going to be his faithful disciple Recognize your weakness. Respond in faith. And then third, rejoice in your salvation. Like Zacchaeus was finally able to do for the first time probably in forever (laughs) since he got that job as a tax collector. Rejoice in your salvation. The question here is where is your joy? Where is your joy? Does it come from Jesus? Does it come from our Lord? You see, the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian, between the person who has turned to Jesus Christ by faith and has been born again of water and the Spirit, and the person who hasn't done that, is not that one's a sinner and one's not, because we're all sinners, It's not that one struggles and one does not because we all struggle. But for one, the struggle is one of joy. For the other, it's just a source of frustration and sorrow. And for one, there is a Redeemer. The Redeemer Jesus. I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know, I know eternal life he gives. I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. If you don't know that today, we want to help you find that out. Come as we stand. Sing this great hymn together.